So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, we, we've, we've covered a lot of ground today. And we have, and it's ironic that as we cover all of this ground today, that the text that we're actually going to deal with, and, and we'll deal with it relatively quickly. We've only got four verses to kind of work through this morning uh, by design. And, and as we jump into these four verses, we're going to start a conversation about uh, spiritual warfare. Uh, so we're going to be in Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at 10 through 13 today. So if you've got your Bibles handy, you can open this up. And I'm just going to read for you uh, the text that we'll, that we'll kind of take apart. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Now, we're going we're gonna to dig into all of that. And, and just so you know, we'll be, we'll be spending the, the last three weeks of our series through Ephesians dealing with chapter six, really digging into this idea of spiritual warfare and what that's about. Okay. And I want to acknowledge before we get going here um, that when I say spiritual warfare, for some of you, you're all in. You're like, yeah, I get that. That makes sense to me. I understand what you're talking about. Spiritual warfare is real because the devil is real and demonic influence is real. And that's what it is. And others of you, when I say spiritual warfare, you're like, stop being weird. Don't be that weird Christian, right? Because when it comes to this idea of a spiritual battle, some of us are all in, right? And some of us are, we, we like to focus more on the natural. But the reality is that if you are a Christian that has taken seriously everything Paul has said in this letter, right? If you've taken seriously what he's written in this letter and you've laid this out there, then the idea is, right, that spiritual battle is inevitable, Look here. The true Christian that Paul describes in Ephesians 1 through 3, right? The person that has been bought through the blood of Jesus from death to life and has been made new in Christ, that now has the Holy Spirit living in them. That Christian that lives the faithful life that Paul has described in Ephesians 4 all the way through last week, 6 9, right? That's living that life. That person. It is guaranteed, no questions asked, that a true Christian who is striving to live a God-focused life walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, that person will definitively be involved in spiritual warfare. It just is, right? And I know it's weird in our world, right? Because for a long time in this culture, Right in in the Western world, right ever ever since, um, right ever since modernism became a thing, we tend to fall into two camps, and Christians really aren't different, unfortunately. And the one camp, on the one side, we we have this idea that the, the spiritual world isn't real. Yeah, I mean, we know God and angels and we know there's heaven and all of that, but like the spiritual things of this, they're not real, right? It's natural. What can I see? What can I touch? What can I taste? What can I smell? Like what's real? And then we have the other end of the spectrum where people are like, no, I'm all in, right? Ghosts are a thing. 
Haunted barns are a thing, right? And you go to a cemetery, it's spooky. And, and the reality is that, that in both of those positions, we kind of miss what's really happening. What's really happening is that there are angels that do the bidding of God. And there are fallen angels and agents that do the bidding of our enemy. And there is a battle that is raging. And it will most definitely impact Christians. And we must know it. Paul says, I want you to know this because if, if you take seriously everything that we've been looking at over the last 14 weeks, this letter that Paul has written to the church in Ephesus, if you take seriously everything he said, right, then your battle is inevitable. Here's what he said. He says, strive to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He says, you're a Christian now. Act like it, right? Be humble. Walk in humility rather than the pridefulness that is part of your broken nature. Strive for unity among people and stamp out divisiveness. Don't allow it to fester, right? You are a new being. Say goodbye to all of the old stuff. Say goodbye to all of the lust and, 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 and the desires of the flesh and walk in new. Focus on love. Be light. Focus on wisdom, not foolishness. Right? And we get to all of this, right? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you do those things, then opposition is certain. Here's why. Because God promises blessings when we obey him. And whatever God blesses, talked about this last week with the family and with our role as parents. God promises blessings when we obey him. And whatever God blesses, Satan will oppose so when Paul writes this, the reason I'm lingering here, even though I don't have a, a ton of time with you this morning, the reason I linger here is because I need you to understand what Paul is desperately trying to get you to understand. Right? What Paul is desperately trying to get you to understand is that if you take seriously your call to live in Christian life, then you must take seriously your call to guard yourself, to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy because they are real and they will happen. So we know that, right? So let's dig in. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is Paul's, this is Paul's encouragement. He says, after all of this, right? He's like, listen, you're going to walk new. You're going to be humble. You're going to be light. You're going to let go of lust and you're going to live in love and you're going to be unified and not divisive and all of these things. And, and you're going to love each other and submit to one another in marriage. And, and, and parents, you're going you're gonna to teach obedience and responsibility and authority to your children because that's good. And, and, and masters and servants, you're going you're gonna to submit to and be humble with one another as we serve of the Lord. All of this, he says, now finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And I, and I want to be really clear. Sometimes when we, we, we 
translating from Greek to English, sometimes it feels like there's some extra clunkiness in the language, and sometimes there is, right? So finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Here's basically what, what Paul's saying. Do not try to do this by yourself because you are not strong enough. You're not physically strong enough because it's not a physical battle. You're not emotionally strong enough. You're not spiritually strong enough. If you try to battle in your own might, you will fail. And that, that, that's not Paul saying there's something wrong with you. That is the reality of who you're battling. Paul says you are battling an enemy that you can't possibly understand. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you're, you're battling an enemy that is above you, that is beyond you at this moment in time. But that enemy is not above or beyond God. Amen. Right? So when you battle... Your strength best come from the Lord. And when you go to stand, you better stand in his might, not your own, because your own will fall short. I can tell you definitively that the times that I have failed in my Christianity, and it would fill a library of books, But the times that I have failed in my Christianity are times that I decided I could stand in my own strength. And my own strength is fleeting and it's failing. Anybody here do planks? I don't do planks. Some of you are, you're like, I I mean, Matt could do a plank. And some of you are like, yeah, that makes sense. I don't do planks. I don't. But some of you do planks, right? So you do a plank and you're like, you know what happens, again, to you, not to me. But what happens is you're good for like a little bit. You know, you go to do them for like a minute and you're good for, for like 10 seconds. And then your arms get a little wobbly right? And then you get a little further into the plank. For those of you that don't know what a plank is, look it up on YouTube. It's fine. Um, (laughs) Right? And and you're doing this thing and then your arms start to shake or whatever. And you get to a point where you are just, no matter how long you can hold it, I could hold it for 10 seconds. You can hold it for a minute. Some of you, listen, some of you can hold it for three minutes. But no matter how long you can hold it, right? No matter how long you can hold out, Your strength will fail you. You'll fall. And for those of us that are trying to stand against the enemy in our own strength, you might be better at it than I am. You might be able to hold it longer than me. But it's going to give out. So you be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And you do that because we are all at war. We're at war against three things. The world. We are at war against the world. We're at war against the world because the world system, like the culture, is against God. 
And that's not because we live in an evil day and age, right? I know sometimes we like to think, oh no, persecution is getting bad. The world is getting evil. Ask Matt, who's been living for the last eight years in a different part of the world. It's always been evil, right? It's not like we're, oh no, now it's bad here, so the world is now evil. No, this is the way it's always been. The world is evil because the world is against God. Right? And so all of the draw and all of the pull and all of the push of this world that we live in is going a direction that is against God. Sometimes we freak out in this culture because it's finally happening to us. It's been happening everywhere. It's just finally catching up to us. Right? It's going a different direction. The world is pointed somewhere else. And you know who loves it? We do. Our flesh. Because the world, the system, exists to satisfy the sinful flesh. What does John say? First John, the, the lust of the eyes, right? The lust of the heart. The pride of life. We want it. We see it. We desire it. Feels good, so we engage in it. The world, the flesh, and all of that dictated by the enemy of your soul, the devil. And when you fight on your own, you will succumb. But when you fight in the power of God and in His strength, you will be successful. Why? Because by his death and resurrection, here's what the Bible tells us. Jesus has overcome the world. The world is our enemy, but Jesus has overcome the world. Right? Our flesh wants to lead us astray, but through the cross, Jesus defeated the power of sin in our lives. He defeated our flesh. He's made us new. And we read earlier in Ephesians, way back in September. That through the cross, Jesus has defeated the devil. And the power of the devil. The power of death and sin. And so, when we battle, here, listen to me, now get this, we don't battle for victory, but as Christians, we battle from victory. Now, I know that sounds wonky, and I know it sounds like just a, a verbal, like, oh, okay, well, it's just a, a trick of words or whatever, but no, it's, it's, an, it's an intellectual understanding that comes from our new being in Christ, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We aren't looking for victory. We have victory in Christ, but if we're going to fight victoriously, we must fight with His strength. Because the victory was never ours. It was never ours. It keeps going. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And, and how do we do that? We put on the whole armor of God. Now, we're going to spend next week actually getting into this idea of what the armor is and, and, and what the different components of the armor are. So we'll just talk about it broadly this week. But when he says, put on the whole armor of God, here's what Paul's saying, right? 
Paul's saying that you don't have enough strength on your own to stand firm against the enemy. God provides you the strength. So as you suit up, right, as you put on this armor, you're doing so in a way that lets you access his strength. Well, how do we access the strength of God? By being intimately connected with him. So here is my easy way to tell you that I want you to put on the armor of God and that I want you to strengthen the armor of God every day. Because the idea of put on the armor of God, this isn't like something you put on and take off, right? Putting on the armor of God has this idea of something that you put on and you leave on. In fact, you put it on and you add to it. This isn't like putting on a costume. I mean, we just had Halloween not that long ago and lots of you, well, not lots of you, Maybe, I don't know. Lots of your kids wore costumes, right? We put on costumes. My kids used to run around in costumes all the time. Put on costumes. I can picture Pastor David wearing his his costume, his Spider-Man costume. You had a Spider-Man costume, didn't you? What was your favorite Halloween costume? I don't think we did. Really? Wow. Okay, there you go. <sighs> Thank you. I'm like, you couldn't, you couldn't just gone there first. We had to have this whole awkward thing in front of everybody. All right. Fine. This is where I point out to you that not only is David wearing his big boy pants, he's wearing his big boy shoes. That he has to tie and everything. All right. Here's the deal, right? So, so we, we, we think of putting on the armor like it's this thing that we do, like just like in these, when it's extra hard, like, oh, I'm feeling extra oppressed by the enemy today or things are extra hard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on the armor and be prepared. No, that's not what it is. It's not like you're, you're getting suited up and, and now you're ready and then you take it off at the end of the day. When he says put on this armor, right? It's this idea that I'm putting it on permanently, And then now that it's on, I'm actually adding to it daily. And the way that we put on this armor and the way that we add to it is by getting intimately close with the one whose strength we're supposed to be accessing. Right? I'm standing firm, but not in my own strength. I'm standing firm in God's strength. So when I put on the armor of God, it's because I'm getting close to God. And there's only a few ways that I know how to get close to God. And they might come out in different ways and we might all have different approaches, but there's only a few ways that I know to legitimately, seriously be close to God. And that is spend the time with him. Pray. You pray. And I don't mean you say grace. Yes, you say grace. But I mean you pray. You wrestle with God in prayer. You continue to pray. You spend the time with him. You acknowledge who he is. You share the needs and you stand in the gap like the community, like David talked about. You listen quietly in prayer so that God can communicate to your heart. You pray. Not to check it off your list, but because you want to be close to him. Because you want his strength to help you stand. 
and you grow in your knowledge and obedience of the Word of God. Well, there's only one way to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God. Read the Word of God. And don't just read it to know what it says, but do it. You, you're like, man, I, I want to feel closer to God. I, I want his strength. I want to battle this battle. I want to be standing firm in, in the strength of his might. I just don't really want to spend any time with him. I don't really want to pray. I don't really want to read. I certainly don't want to do what it says. Well, then you can't. You will never be putting on the armor of God. You will never be strong in the strength of the Lord if you are not willing to spend time with him. Now, Paul's going to keep going in this because he wants us to keep knowing some things, but, but really, that's the, that's the whole point. You want to put on the armor of God? Then you get intimate with God because he's the one that provides it. You pray. You grow in your knowledge and obedience of the word. And here's the deal. When you grow in your knowledge and obedience of the word and you are getting more intimately connected with God, then this thing happens where the faith in his promises that you have, instead of getting weaker because the world is pushing in on you, it gets stronger. Right? Because the world is not going to stop pushing in. The world is not going to stop pushing in. But when you pray and you grow in your knowledge and obedience of the word, you get stronger in your faith, not weaker. I want you to know this, the full armor of God. Some of you are like, I know enough. I know enough of the Bible, right? I pray enough. Listen, the full armor of God equips believers far beyond your knowledge of the gospel. That's what most of us think. When most of us think, oh, what does the Bible have to teach me? Most of us think it's about the gospel. And the gospel is central, right? The gospel is what saves us. But the rest of it is what do I do with the gospel that is working itself out in my life? And you putting on the spiritual armor of God isn't just about knowing the gospel. It goes far beyond that. We keep going. It says, right, so you put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Listen to me, the devil is real. The devil is real. Now, the devil may not be what TV shows want us to think. I had this argument with my mother a couple years back. Bless her. Pay her five bucks. I'm not going to pay her. I don't think she's listening today. But here, she's watching a show on TV where the devil is a good guy, right? Like, I don't even know, what, what's this show called? Why do you know that? <laughs> that was a trap. <laughs> no, listen, I know Tim Kurtz and I know why he knows that because he saw it on there and he was disgusted. <laughs> and he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for people that watch that show. I'm going to stand in the gap for them. I appreciate you, brother. Here's what it is. No, I'm so, listen, I got to pay Tim $5 now. I'm going to be broke. Here's the deal, right? We, we watch, like, like, watching this show. And I'm like, like, no, 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 no. Like, do you understand who the devil is? 
The devil is not... Listen, the devil is the enemy of your soul that wants you, that wants you to spend eternity in hell and wants the people you love to spend eternity in hell that wants to ruin every good thing. Here's what we know about the devil. He is an adversary of God, which means everything that God proposes to do, Satan intends to stop or destroy. When you pray for blessings, when you pray for for relief, as we prayed relief for people that are hurting and people that are struggling, Right? As, as we pray for health for people that are, that are having difficulties, as we pray for relief for a family that's reeling from the loss of a suicide, when we pray for these things, Satan is actively opposed. He's an accuser. He is constantly, we're told in Revelation, that he is constantly before the throne accusing you. He's, there's nothing good about him. He is trying to drive a wedge between you and God. And when you sin, when you make a mistake, he's right there to accuse you, to make you know it, to make you believe that you've sinned so badly that God could never forgive you. He's the tempter. He knows your flesh is weak. He knows your flesh is the enemy of living the life that you're called to live as a Christian. And yet he's always there to dangle the world in front of you to try to draw you to it. He's a murderer. And a liar, the Bible tells us. The king of deception. Peter tells us that he's like a lion looking for people to devour. He's not passive. He's aggressive in his pursuit to ruin you and to ruin those you love. Parents. Parents. Satan wants your children Satan wants your grandchildren, and he doesn't just want them. He wants to devour them, and he is aggressive in his pursuit. Husbands, he wants your wives. Wives, he wants your husbands. This isn't passive. And you know what's worse? Paul tells us in Corinthians, he's disguised as an angel of light. He's disguised as an angel of light, which means that he looks attractive. Somehow we think he might be okay. Or that his way might be good. He's the God of this age. And this age is evil and we know it. Yet somehow we're not sure. Here's what I can tell you about the devil, right? Is that he is opposed to God and he has been from the beginning. Where did he come from? Well, God created him. He was an angel of light. Before the fall, we knew him as Lucifer. But here's what Isaiah says. How you have fallen from heaven, O shining star. Son of the morning, you've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Listen to me. Satan is a created being. He was an angel. 
a powerful angel. And he rebelled against God, and God removed him from his presence. And the devil's got plans and schemes. He wants to ruin you. If you are a Christian, he wants to ruin your witness and ruin your ministry. For people that aren't Christians, he wants to devour them and get them to hell. He wants to stop your effectiveness. He's got plans. And I can't tell you all of how those plans work because I'm not smart enough. But I can tell you that ultimately, here is his destination. We read about it at the end in Revelation 20. Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I can't tell you about the devil's schemes necessarily, except that they're happening. But I can tell you that ultimately, while he is formidable, he is defeated. And this is where some Christians get a little off guard right? Because we're like, well, Satan is defeated, right? We've got the blood of Jesus. We're all good. Sure, right? But so did the people that the New Testament authors were writing to, right? And and the New Testament authors didn't describe Satan as a lion and a dragon for no reason. They described him that way because we must battle, we keep going, right? And it's not just Satan, right? Satan isn't omnipresent, right? He's created. He doesn't, he's not powerful like God. He's not present everywhere like God. He doesn't know everything like God, but he is wise and subtle and dangerous. And he actually is in control of enemy forces. These are angels that rebelled alongside of him. He was the chief rebeller, but he had angels that rebelled with him. We read in Revelation that most likely it was a third of the angels that rebelled with him, that God cast out of heaven. And so now it's not just Satan that we battle against, but it's all of his demonic forces that we battle with. And I know it can sound weird. Sometimes the reason we don't talk about this is because the world makes us think we're stupid when we talk about this. They act like we're idiots because we believe in demons and demonic struggle and all of these things. But listen, It's real no matter what. It doesn't become not real because it's weird to talk about. And this is what Paul says. He's like, because you're not just, you got to be strong in the power of Christ so you can stand firm. You got to put on all of the armor of God so you can stand firm because you are fighting against the devils, right? The devil and not flesh and blood. But the rulers, the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, you are battling against something bigger than you. You're battling against demonic influence. Listen, when you struggle, when you struggle, right? Now, I'm not saying, listen, don't don't be that guy. Don't be that girl that comes to my office and sits down because, oh, man, listen, I love you but I will want to punch you. Pastorally, don't be that person that sits down and when you're confronted about sin, well, you know, because this has happened, not the punching part, but the saying it part. The devil made me do it. 
Don't. The devil doesn't make you. You decide. Right? But the devil influences and lies and accuses and pulls and tempts. You're in charge of you. You're in charge of whether you stand in the strength of God or you try to go it alone. Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against something much, much larger, something much more nefarious, something much more dangerous. We're wrestling against powers and spiritual rulers, authorities, and the cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's who we're battling against. Here's the reality. You are, if you are a Christian, you are at war, whether you know it or not. Because the spiritual battle is raging in this world and in the heavenlies. And we are part of it. We're part of it. So you best be an active part of it. And can I just add real quickly? Know who you're fighting. Know who you're fighting. Your enemy isn't flesh and blood. They might look like your enemy. They might be acting like your enemy. They might be pushing against you like they are your enemy. But they're having the same spiritual influence and pressure that you are. They aren't your enemy. Why do you think Jesus says, pray for your enemies? What are you praying for? What do you think you're praying for? You're not praying that a big rock would fall on them. You're praying for their deliverance. You're praying that they would see the truth. You're praying that they would understand. You're praying that God would get a hold of them and that the Holy Spirit would move them in truth and and that they'd be freed from the deception of the enemy that's got them in chains. I mean, if, here's the problem. Most of us, we like to battle with pithy memes and, and Facebook posts instead of getting on our knees in prayer. And we are called to battle in prayer. We're called to battle. I love this. So Paul, and, and, and we read about this in the book of Acts, But it happened in Ephesus. When Paul was in Ephesus, right, um, there was a riot that almost ruined the church, right? A man named Demetrius and his associates, he he was a a metal worker, and he made idols. And because Paul and his his, um, missionaries were doing such a good job of teaching the gospel, people stopped buying idols. And this guy's sitting around going, I got a problem. I'm not making any money. And so along with some of the Jews and some of the other people that wanted to ruin Paul, they started riots against Christians. What did Paul do? He prayed. He didn't get a mob together to go get Demetrius. He prayed against the devil and against the demonic influence, and the riot was put down. Not because Paul was out there putting it down. Because he knew who his enemy was. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day 
And having done all, you may stand firm. So this is where we end. This call, again, put on the armor and stand firm. We live in a weird kind of context. And in our our weird kind of context, it is far too easy for us believers, especially in this Western world, where the church is generally, and I know some of you are like, no, it's bad for the church. No, not comparatively. It's not, it's not bad for the church. The church is prosperous. The church is generally respected. And so in this culture, in this context, it's real easy for us to think that we are victorious in this battle when most of us haven't suited up to fight. Most of us claim, oh, we have won this peace of God when there was really no conflict to start with that we were involved in. So listen to me. I just want to tell you this, and and we'll deal with this more next week. The conflict is real, and it's raging around you, and we must battle. And and we, uh, like, man, object lessons suck. Object lessons suck. But I am disgusted and heartbroken that I have another funeral to do on Wednesday. I have another stinking funeral to do on Wednesday because another 17-year-old kid lost this battle. And I don't know what we could have done, but we could have done better. Because I was not broken in prayer for the lost kids in our community. I wasn't battling. There was a battle going on. I just wasn't actively a part of it. And I'm willing to bet that not many of us were the way that we should have been. Object lessons suck. But they're lessons. And there's more kids. And they're all lost. And there's more refugees, and they all need Jesus, and hell is real, and Satan is looking to devour us and get us there. And so we have to battle. I don't know. I don't know, guys. We'll talk more next week, but I'll just leave you with this as Pastor David comes up to close us out. We can do this. We can do this. Right? God's not asking us to do something we can't do. James tells us, humble yourself before God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. And so right now, if we're just trying to figure out how do I put on this armor so that I can engage in this battle, right? The armor goes on so that we can engage in this battle. Then here's what I'm asking you to do. Get close to God. Pray. Grow in your obedience and knowledge of the word, and that will build your faith in the promises of God. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. God, we pray a blessing on those that are broken and hurting. And not just a cursory passing blessing, but we pray a real blessing on those that are really hurt. And I pray that you will help me. And not just me, but our body. Blessed Hope Community Church, at least, if not the entire church of Vinton. God, that you will help us stand in the gap for those that are broken. That you will help us really battle. Not just know that the battle is going on. Not just be on the outskirts, but to really be in. We love you. We praise you. Amen. I hope that nobody missed what was said because we're already preparing for what's after this.
because it was that significant. So here's how we're going to end. Um, I'm just going to play some music. Uh, I'm going to just ask, offer, if you want to spend some time in prayer, not just, you know, do you need to get closer? Right? Does there need to be some intimacy? Do you need to, as, as Pastor Matt said, start taking it serious and say, God, I, wanna, I need to suit up into the armor and stand in your strength. Are you going through a spiritual battle and you just need to spend some time, Lord, humble before you and crying out to you? Do you need to spend some time interceding? Um, again, had all these thoughts until, you know, the Holy Spirit through Matt, you know, makes this comment about, man, I could have been interceding better, fighting better, you know, because I didn't take it serious. Do we need to pause for a moment and just say, Lord, I need to take it, show me what I need to take serious. Anyways, just prayer. When you are ready to go, you, you just go. If you need to go now, I get that. But as soon as I start playing, you, you seek the Lord how God wants you to seek him this morning. That's it. Okay? That way it's, you decide. So with that, Lord Jesus, just use us. Um, let us know the victory that is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just that simple, Lord. Holy Spirit, use your church. Um, we just love you. Amen.